0: I'll be honest, I'm a bit of a mess. That was amazing, eh? God is doing something so beautiful that, man, it's it's stunning. I've been a part of the Vineyard Church in Bournemouth for a while. Let me try and figure it out. Eight? Eight years? Nine years? Um, and I think this is the most excited I've been in nine years. I, there's something stunning oh. happening. And... Um, yeah, if, if that was new to you, if you were like, I looked at the clock and I was like, oh, oh 25 minute time and it's gone with two songs. What just happened? Um, and this is all off script, but I'm just trying to like bring some clarity to what I feel like God's doing. But that, that second song, we sung a lot about um, yielding to God and uh, giving him space. And um I just feel like God is doing so much. But if we would just yield to him, if we would give him the space, if we would give him the time, then we would see amazing things. And um, yeah, worship is at the center of that. Worship is the very center of that. And uh, it's, it's the key, right? It's the key. Worship is gonna be the fuel. It's gonna be the sustenance. It's gonna be the thing that keeps us going. And it's gonna be the thing that we, we come back to. So if we would be a people that yield to God, uh, we're going to see some amazing things. Uh, anyway, um, as John said, we've been doing this, uh, this mini-series called Kingdom of God, refreshing us on our values and looking at some of what our distinctives are as a, a vineyard family. And uh, we've looked at discipleship and community. And lastly, obviously, they've wheeled out the worship pastor to talk about worship, And um, I've been uh, studying, doing various reading and research uh, to help me prepare for today. Uh, And a lot of what I found really helpful has come uh, from a guy called Rich Nathan, and he's the senior pastor of Columbus Vineyard uh, in uh, the US, which is Ohio, right? Yes, yes, resident American. Um, And I've used a lot of his material, so I definitely um, recommend checking him out. Um, but worship—it's—it's it's a huge topic, right? It pretty much encapsulates the entirety of the Christian walk, and we could look at many angles uh, and lines of thought. But this morning, I want to bring it back uh, to basics. And so, basic. In fact, I'm going to ask you uh, a question that's been dividing folk for millennia: Who's a dog person and who's a cat person, right? Can I have dog people, cat people? as I expected, the superior wins out. Dogs are so much better. Uh, I've had both. Uh, It doesn't help that I'm wildly allergic to cats. But um, I've had two dogs. Uh, They're amazing. And uh, and this is why they're better, right? In my opinion. Because you have a dog, right? You look after it. You take it for walks. You feed it. and they think you're just the best. They think you're amazing. They think, wow, you must be God. It's incredible. But you have these little snooty feline things, and you uh, you look after it. You change their little tray. I don't even know what you do with with cats. Like they just kind of they don't really care. They just leave you. Anyway, side note, my bias. But cats, you look after them, and they have this way of thinking. Wow, you're looking after me. I am amazing. I must be God. And the difference between dogs and cats is just that. And there's a guy called Stephen Hawthorne, and he's a mission specialist, and he takes this a little bit further. And he says, the problem with us in reading the Bible is that the Bible was a book uh, written for dogs, but read by cats. Now, um, what does that mean? The Bible's a book about God. Faith is about God. Worship is about God, but often we live our lives as though we're the main character. Which, to be honest, is kind of understandable. You know, our, our entire existence is a barrage of media influence that tells us that you're the most important person in the world. You do you, put yourself first, um, chase your dreams, you know, the list goes on. But this morning, I want to suggest to you that the key to worship as well as the key to a successful life in the kingdom of God, is that it's not about you. We attribute worship to many things, to singing and sacrifice and serving, but ultimately the only defining characteristic of worship, however it looks, is that it's unto God. Worship can't be about us, because it's about him. Romans 11:36 says for from him and through him and to him all things uh, are all things to him be the glory forever it's about him as cliche as that sounds it was uh, it's all about him it was him our loving father who created the cosmos uh, from nothing and it was him who sculpted us individually and intricately from an overflow of love And it was him that when humanity rejected him, pursued us through the course of history to the point of death, to redeem us for himself. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Let's open the Bible. Um, If you've got one with you, I'm in uh, the Psalms, Psalm 96. Let me just find it. So it's like the uh, Sunday school race, eh? I'm going to read from the ESV, but whatever you got in front of you will work. All right. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary." Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. And he comes to judge the earth and he will judge the world in righteousness and all the peoples in faithfulness. Immediately in those first few verses, we're given um, instructions. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Proclaim his salvation. Declare his glory. The psalm is littered with verbs and actions, and these aren't suggestions to be considered. Not once in the whole psalm are our feelings considered. It doesn't say, sing to the Lord if you feel like it, or declare his glory if things are going well. We're instructed simply to sing. The problem with uh, this for us is that our identity is so often wrapped up in what we, feel, uh, what we feel that we find it paralyzing to do things that conflict with our feelings and emotions. We think that to act contrary to our feelings is uh, somehow a violation of our integrity and our authenticity. But the reality is that integrity is consistency with our values and not consistency with our feelings. Feelings and emotions, you'll know that they come and go. They can be good servants, but they're terrible masters. And it's important at this point for me to remind you that you're not governed by your feelings. Your feelings aren't the driving force in your life. They're a good advisor, but they are not your God. You may not feel like worship. You may not feel like spending time with God. You may not feel like loving your neighbor. But guess what? The Bible doesn't ask for your opinion. (laughs) It asks instead, is he worthy? Then sing a new song. Is he God? Then tell of his marvelous works. Is he sovereign? Declare his glory. And there is so much freedom in this language. Anyone else an overthinker? Just me? Cool. Uh, I'm a chronic overthinker. I can't tell you how many hours of my life I've wasted being bound in overthought. Fortunately for us though, worship isn't one of the things we need to overthink. We are literally hardwired to praise. Everything in us is designed to respond to the greatness and the love of God. There are some things that are just good to do, always in every season, and worship is one of those things. It's a bit like exercising. It's just good for you. You don't need a reason every day. It's just good to move your body, go for a walk, hit the gym, do some gardening, whatever it is that you do. But as you do that, you'll find that your endorphins start to kick in. Some of that stress begins to dissipate out of your system. You maybe even uh, build some muscle, or maybe you'll breathe a little easier. It takes a choice and maybe some willpower, but on the other side, we're better for it. And the same is true of worship. We worship because he's worthy. That's the only reason we need, end of. But in the process, we're softened and we're renewed and we're molded and we're perfected. There have been so many times in my life that I've dragged myself into the place of worship Grumpy and tired, apathetic. I'll just insert the word, I've been there. Um, And uh, somewhere along the way, as I take my eyes off myself and onto Jesus, things change. Worship is the great recalibrator. Your circumstance may not immediately change, but I can guarantee that your perspective will. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, meditating on him and thanking him for the truth of who he is, things just change. It's like that beautiful hymn that we often sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Isn't he kind? Isn't he kind? It's the immense kindness of God that we're changed in our worship of him. That's crazy. That's crazy. As we uh, read through the psalm, there's this ebb and flow that almost feels like two sides of a coin. We read things like, sing to the Lord, praise his name, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. But we also read, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the people. And it reminds me of the great commandment Jesus talks about in the New Testament, One of the expert in the Jewish laws uh, gets together with Jesus and he asks him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Or in other words, what's the most important thing we can do? If we were to do one thing, and Jesus answers this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor. Now, This is a classic Jesus move, sneaky move. They ask for one thing and he gives them two. Now, what I think Jesus is doing here is he's fusing the great commandment with the great commission. What's the most important thing? Love God. Of course, it is, no question. It's to worship him, to put him first. But what's like that? Love your neighbor. Make disciples of all nations, or as the psalm puts it, declare his glory among the nations. Basically, just tell everyone how great he is. In this one interaction, Jesus makes sure we know that loving God and extending his kingdom are two sides of the same coin. He says that the greatest commandment is worship. It's giving him your everything. And the second is extending the kingdom. You can't separate the two, but there is an order. It's the inhale and the exhale of the Jesus life. Worship God, love others. Worship God, love others. And this is the very center of who we are as Coastline. We often say that we love the King, we live the Kingdom. Now, I've mentioned it already, but who else is pumped about what God is doing in our family? I am so excited. Each week, I'm seeing people hungry to encounter Jesus. When there's an opportunity for prayer, here at the front, there are people. Before the service, we have as many as 20 people praying for us. And as we've just heard in Alpha, we started with one person, and they were chatting about whether they were even going to put Alpha on, and now we're up to 30-odd, 30, 30 35, with more people coming every week. God's moving. God's moving. There is a bubbling excitement and a desire for the things of the kingdom, for healings and miracles and people welcomed into family. But let's not forget that order. There's a reason Jesus gave us that command in that order. We're meant to have an inhale and we're meant to have an exhale. Because how can we breathe without breathing in? It's not physically possible. Indulge me for a second. We're going to do a little exercise Will you breathe out with me and just don't stop? You with me? All right, here we go. One, two, three. All right, all the swimmers are still going. Me with my asthma struggled in about two seconds. But you get the point. We actually, it's not possible. When you breathe out, you breathe out so much. At some point, you're going to have to breathe in. And the Christian life isn't possible without the inhale of worship. It's where everything starts. Without it, ultimately, our exhale fizzles out. If we're to have any impact on the world and follow Jesus' command of the Great Commission, there must first be the Great Commandment. Like I mentioned earlier, worship is the place of transformation. It's the place where we're changed and molded into the likeness of Jesus. We become like what we behold. As we spend time with Jesus, enjoying him and thanking him, we take on his traits, his mannerisms, his priorities, and in turn, we're able to breathe out the very presence of Jesus into the world around us. One of my favorite pas- uh, verses in this passage is verse 8. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. We've looked at how worship is for God and how it shouldn't be determined by our feelings, but by his worth. But one of the crucial components of worship is that God invites you. You're invited. More than welcome, you're invited. God isn't a far-off cosmic dictator. He is the perfect father that calls us close. And it's actually what he wants. It's his great longing. In, uh, in John 17, he's, uh, he's praying. He's chatting to his dad, actually before he goes to the cross. Uh, and he says, Father, I want those You gave me to be with me right where I am so that they can see my glory. This is the scandal of Jesus that will never get old. And maybe you're new to faith. Maybe uh, you've been invited by a friend or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for years, but uh, the truth of this has become a little jaded and blunt. But the audacious truth is that Jesus invites us as we are in all of our mess and all of our imperfection, all we're ashamed of to come into his courts, to be near, imperfect us, next to perfect him. And he doesn't require some grandiose gesture. Consistently, as we read the Bible, we learn that the thing that matters to God above all else is a humble and an honest heart. We're welcome when we're up, and we're welcome when we're down, at our worst and at our best. And I don't know about you, but it sounds like he's actually excited by that prospect. Let's look at those words again. He says, Father, I want those you gave me to be with me right where I am so that they can see my glory. Those aren't the words of someone who is merely tolerating us. They're the words of someone that loves us, wants to be close to us. So we get to come confident. And more than confident, we get to be brazen and bold in his presence, knowing that He wants us and that he made a way by dying for us so that we can come close. And secondly, we're urged to bring. The wise men at Jesus' birth brought gifts. The woman caught in adultery brought a year's worth of wages in perfume and poured it over Jesus. Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son Isaac. Isaac. The disciples left their jobs and their homes to follow Jesus. To worship is to bring something. The beautiful thing about faith is that the only thing we can actually give to God that's of worth to Him is our lives, every moment, big and small. Gone are the days of the Old Testament where every offering was uh, legislated and prescribed. In Jesus, we're free. We can't work to impress him. We can't earn his love. Our offering to him is a freely yielded and thankful heart. Now, I heard it like this. When you uh, give your life to Jesus, it's like uh, you give him a million dollars, right? Or a million pounds. And you, he, you give it to him as a check and he cashes it and then he changes it up for thousands and thousands of 10ps, 1ps, 5ps, pound coins, 10s, 20s, all the way up to those crisp 50s that you get if you're lucky on Christmas. And, uh, and he gives them all back to you. I've had a few in my time. They didn't come around every now and again. And he gives you them back and he asks that you would spend your life for him. You give him your life, he cashes it all up and gives it back to you. So maybe you notice someone new at church, maybe you could do this today, and you invite them for lunch. That's a small thing, right? So maybe we could call that like a 10p. (laughs) Or maybe you see someone homeless on the street, and you feel the prompting of God to give them your coat. Maybe it's your favorite coat. Now, this has happened to me before. Um, It wasn't particularly easy, but I gave my precious coat. Now, uh, this is a little bit harder. Maybe you could call that a pound or a fiver. But then there are bigger things. Say you're in a relationship, and actually you feel God asking you to break it off. It's tough, and it's costly. It requires trust. It's an act of worship. Maybe that's like a 10 or a 20. And sometimes there are things that don't come around too often. Maybe you feel the call of God to jack everything in and move to another country. Or maybe you sense God asking you to adopt. There are big things, and they require a lot of you. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, used to say, I'm just loose change in the pocket of God, and he can spend me however he pleases. You're invited to come and be close to God, but you're also invited to bring something to him in your daily choices of worship. I'm so excited, you know, for what God's going to be doing throughout our family and, and into the next season. And uh, I've tried to put some, some words to that. Um, so why don't we just pray? I'm just going to pray for us. My prayer for us as Coastline is that we would be a people of pure and unrestrained worship. That we would be compelled by the vastness of God, recognizing the immensity of His love, and dive headlong in, tumbling into daily demonstrations of love for Jesus. That we would have laser clarity, leaving the snares of overthought and reservation behind that we would value the worth of God more than our fleeting emotions, and that we would come into his courts bringing our offering, knowing that worship is about him and not about us. My prayer is that we would be a people that run to the place of worship. We wouldn't think twice. Whatever state we happen to be in, whether struggling with sin, shame, grief, or deep questions, Or if we're full of joy, celebration, and wonder, that we'd make the choice to come, knowing that as we fix our eyes on God, we're transformed. That as we bring all of ourselves, we find every need met in Jesus.